So last Sunday, I was telling you we're going to church camp, an 80% chance of rain through the week, and I asked you to pray. I want to show of hands how many prayed for us. Well, thanks a whole lot, y'all. When I need something, I'll come to you again. Raise your hand again. Who, who actually did? It worked. It was amazing. We had no rain all week long. Everybody was saying, you're going to get doused, and people were saying, you need to reschedule. And every day, that storm cloud rose, and it just blew right by Walcott, Arkansas. So thank you for becoming a member here. We need you here. We need those prayers working here. I, I, I also want to say, I'm, we've got a, a bunch gone to the canoe trip, and, and it just seems like all summer long, there's something. Uh, at, 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 um, at Valley View right now, again, a canoe trip, and then a week from now, they're going to be leaving for camp. I mean, and it just goes on and on. They've got a Houston mission thing. Keep track of that and be praying for them because they're doing some great things, and these young people are doing uh, great experiences with each other. We had Lydia this week. I put that in a front article, uh, but she seems like this sweet, kind of unassuming person. She goes something different when she's at camp. It's just totally different. And so she's a great treasure. And I'm telling those people at camp, you need to get, and, and, and here's, the, here's the cue, go to the Disney movie. Uh, be sure to do this for entertainment at camp. Uh, we, I, I, I thought for everything I could to come up with an idea of making her do it on stage. It would be so cool, but she can't. She can do Aladdin like nobody's business. So one of these days when you get a chance, just ask her to give you a a preview of her Aladdin stuff, okay, because it's well worth it. We have some amazing people here, and, uh, and with our kids doing so many great things, they need us to be a, a group of people on their wall praying for them and encouraging them in all that they have to do. We're in Matthew chapter 17, if you'll join me there in just a moment. We passed over this passage a few weeks ago. I looked at it and thought about it and, and decided, no, let's just skip this and go on further into Matthew. And now I'm going back because of some devotional thoughts I had myself this week, which are usually kept different from sermon thoughts, but it developed and it meshed into one. I have to make an apology for a couple of weeks ago for a sermon here. And I'll have to do this every once in a while, and I wish I didn't. But knowing me and my humanity, this won't be the last time. But I have to say this, I at least want to rectify as much as I can the mistakes I make when I make them. There were two of them in this particular sermon which have been kept off of YouTube until Paul could correct them. I used a slang term that doesn't belong in the pulpit at all. The Christian life, we live it the best we can and we have strong emotions and we can express them with strong words. But those words don't belong in the Christian pulpit. They don't belong at church. And the word was, I'm just going to say it so you won't wonder about it, okay? We were talking about great frustrations and the pain that you feel in life. And I said, it can be freaking painful. That is a sentiment we all feel, but it's a sentiment that doesn't belong in the pulpit. So I apologize for that. That's not something you come to church to hear. Later on in that same sermon, I made a, 
a very significant um, doctrinal issue a little too casual. And I lament that too. Thanks for not egging my car, and thanks for not calling me up, breathing heavy in the phone, saying something like, you know judgment's ahead, or anything like that. And if you expressed it to the elders, I appreciate that. I haven't been able to meet with the elders since then, so I don't know what they know. But I just know, when it happened, I knew it. Sometimes I've done this before, and I didn't realize what it meant to other people. And later on, I'm corrected, and I, I, I get it. This one I knew when I did it, but I didn't know exactly how to fix it. So this is the best way I know to do. Just say it, and say I blew it, I apologize, and it doesn't belong here. I will not promise stuff like that won't happen again, all because I know me. But if it does happen again, it still doesn't belong up here. And it's not what belongs in the Christian proclamation. Which brings us kind of a perfect segue to the topic. Because in Matthew chapter 17, something that's supposed to happen doesn't, and it should have. And it leaves people perplexed. Uh, This sermon is going to explain why Wednesday nights are so very important. I'm not a preacher who wants to go around saying, if you miss Wednesday nights and you could be here, you're going to hell. I I don't ever want to present it that way. Here's what I want to say. Listen, Wednesday nights are offered. The elders see the wisdom of it. And if you need Wednesday night strengthening, come for it. If you don't, stay home. If you don't need Wednesday night, just skip it. But if you sense in your spirit that you need it, it's here. Come and take advantage. It's like an open buffet at any time. I think this story explains why Wednesday nights are needed. I think this story explains why, and I've done this many times, and if this is something that only describes me, well then bear with me for a minute, but I hope it strikes a chord with you. This explains why sometimes you look in a mirror and go, how could you have done something so stupid? You should be more mature than this. You should do better than this. Things that you just did or said should never be said by you. You've been a Christian long enough that this should have been rooted out. And you get in that, and you get in that mirror and you feel that shame and that sense of, when am I ever going to grow up and grow beyond this? You ever been there? Am I alone? Surely not. It also, it also explains why when you're in nursery with those little kids and you sing that song, that song about patting that Bible and you say, read your Bible and pray every day. Read your Bible and pray every day. And we try to tell our kids to do that. This sermon explains why that will never be something you can leave behind. As fundamental and elementary as that is, read your Bible and pray every day, it really is the secret to the Christian life. And we could preach it every Sunday and not get old or stale with the truth of it. It kind of explains why when you do a Joshua VBS and everybody goes back to the story of Joshua, you start going, oh, I forgot that, or I didn't remember that, or what a neat detail that I have just lost behind. As many times as you've read the Joshua story, how many of you discovered something a little new when you read it this time? Anybody? When you acted it out? It's amazing. I don't care how many times you go over it. You need to go over it again. You're never done. You ever notice that? You're never you're never done. God built it to where you're never done. God built it as something you need on a consistent basis. I can illustrate this with so many things in life. Uh, you go to the, you finally, after going on, going on half tank on your, on your car, 
You need to go fill it up. And you've been saying that to yourself for four days and you just can't find the time to do it. And it goes below a fourth and then it goes, and finally you can't hold it off any longer. And you go fill it up and it feels so good to drive around on a full tank, doesn't it? But as you're driving around on a full tank, what you know is I'm going to have to do this all over again within a week. You're never done. Don't you wish you could put 3,000 gallons in one time and never have to worry about it? It'd be great, but you can't. It's one of those things where it's constantly you have to go back. Or maybe you go to Walmart, the dreaded Walmart weekly visit, or Kroger, or wherever you go. You fill that cart so full that the wheels don't work anymore. Anybody ever done that? I fill it so full that it weights down so I could stand on the edges of it and roll it through the Walmart parking lot and never take a step. You can just ride that thing all the way across the parking lot. You just fill it so full and you get home and you fill that pantry and you got teenagers and you say, yes, we're finally stuffed again with teenagers. Three days later, you got to go back. It's never done. It just has to be replenished. Or that meal like at Thanksgiving and you stuff yourself so much you think I'll never eat again. There's a cat. That could be our cat. We have a cat like that. He gets up about this high off the ground. He jumps down and he goes, ugh. This cat's so full. It's, it's, and you, you get that full like for Thanksgiving and you go, oh, I'm never going to eat again. And four hours later, you're patrolling looking for some little snack. You ever notice you're never done? And life's like that. There are things that are just never done. They're done for now, but they're never just done. We're built to need refills and to go back over and over again. And then when you're satisfied seemingly with something, that satisfaction just lasts a little while and you'll have to repeat and do all over again. And so that's why we've, we've created, Americans have created buffets and free refills. A buffet, open bar, all that food up there and just go fill that plate full. Go back and fill it again and just keep going back and filling it again. And how many remember when you actually had to pay for every refill of, of your drink? Anybody remember this? You go up to the counter, even at McDonald's, you had to pay your quarter, your 50 cents. No longer, you now have those self-serve things. And you go up there and just refill it as much as you want. The most annoying thing on all the earth is when you take your teenagers to an all-you-can-eat fish, Ron's Catfish. I'll do a commercial. Ron's Catfish. They eat two pieces of fish and a hush puppy, and they say, I'm fine, I'm done. You know what I do? I make it worth it. I hurt Ron when I go. He wishes he could charge higher. I'm going to go back and I'm going to stuff myself to the point of misery because I'm going to get my money's worth out of this. And those people who don't drives me crazy. My son is one of these. We were at Zaxby's the other day after we eating at camp. He said, I want to go to Zaxby's. We go to Zaxby's. You get a free refill. You get your soda and you get a free refill. And I go back two or three times. And then just before I leave, I fill it again and leave because I'm going to get my money's worth out of this. He fills it once, throws the cup away. It's because I paid for it and he didn't. That's why. <laughs> this is not how you do these things. You try to get your money back as best you can and fill that as full as you can. That's what you do. And here's the interesting thing. And you're thinking, okay, you're telling all these stories. That has nothing to do with the text. It does. It does. Jesus, Mount of Transfiguration, that amazing moment with those three disciples where they see something amazing, transfiguration. As they're coming down the mountain and joining the other nine at the foot of it, there's a great turmoil. There's a great chaotic discussion down there. And it's confusion that reigns. 
Because you have this father who's got a son, who's got an evil spirit that gives him, it, it's, its expression is in seizures. These seizures are violent. It throws him in the water and the fire to try to kill him. The evil spirit in him is vicious. If he were here today, he would be on the seventh floor of Lebanon. That's where they take all those people. And they wait until they have a seizure to see where it originated from. It's a gruesome waiting period like that. But this father has an absolute emergency on his hands. It's a legitimate emergency, and he's tried everything else he can find, and he hears that this Jesus can do something, and the last hope, but it's the greatest hope, and he comes to the disciples, and he brings this son and says, I'd love for you to resolve my problem, and the apostles all take a stab at it, but none of them could do a thing. The disciples all sit around, and they're going, what is going on here? One tries, well, I can do it. The next one tries, no, I can do it. And the other one tries, and all nine take a stab at it, and none of them can do anything with this boy. And there's chaos. The, ki- the, the disciples are confused. The man is upset. The boy is having a seizure probably at that time, something like that. And things are just going crazy. And the disciples are perplexed, but Jesus knew exactly what had happened. Jesus, it is said, was bald right up here about his hairline because he had to do this all the time. You ever feel that way with your kids? Oh, unbelieving generation, how long am I going to have to put up with you? He's frustrated because these guys should be able to do this. This is something he trained them for. This is something he empowered them for. And, and they're saying, oh, you can't do it. You're unbelieving generation. So what does he do? He drives that demon out. Now, in other, in other accounts of this, the father speaks. You may know this because it's a cry of every Christian. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. It's a great sermon, but that's for another time. We're focusing on the disciples right here. And the disciples are so confused. They see Jesus so easily drive out this evil spirit that they come up to Jesus privately, not in front of the crowds, privately come up to Jesus and say, why couldn't we do this? You ever asked yourself that? They had the authority and they had the power straight from Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, seven chapters before, Jesus, before sending them out, gave them power and authority to drive out demons and do miracles to confirm the message. He's given them the power. They have the ability to do this. They are capable. But they also have done this before. The disciples have done this before. That's what's so surprising to them. Just days maybe, maybe the day before, they were able to drive out evil demons, but today, this day, at this moment, they're incapable of it. They have a history and they have the ability to do it, but for some reason they can't make it happen and it's confusing. It's like I should be able to do this. I've done this level of maturity before in my life, but now all of a sudden I'm incapable of rising up to the challenge. What is going on here? They want to know. And Jesus is honest. <coughs> Excuse me. It's because you have so little faith, which makes no sense at all. Ask this question. If their faith was strong enough to do it two days before, why now, two days later, is their faith so small they can't? Can you have a faith that's strong one day, and the next day it's not? Can you, can you have a faith that's able to sustain challenge, overcome challenges, and sustain yourself in temptation this day, but the very next day be too weak to do the same exact thing? 
How in the world can one day make such a difference? Total success here, total failure here. He had faith enough here, not faith enough here, just one day, 24 hours later. Does that bother anybody? The other account in Mark says it different. Jesus doesn't say you don't have faith. He says this kind can only come out by what? Anybody remember? Prayer or prayer and fasting. This kind can only... You put these two things together and I think you have your answer. When you're not praying, your faith is shrinking. You stop praying, your faith shrinks. And what you could do before is now impossible. All because you've stopped praying. Don't assume that because you have this maturity and this strength today that you're going to automatically by coasting have it tomorrow because if you don't feed it, you're only as strong as your latest meal, really, when it comes to this faith strength. If you just try to coast on the faith of your childhood or the faith of past maturity, you'll find yourself failing and you'll find yourself regressing. And Scripture has been consistent about this. He says in the Old Testament, I want you to gather every Saturday and I want you to review what you believe. And then they have this thing called manna, which appeared how often? Every morning. You go out there and gather enough for this day. If you gather too much, it's going to rot and stink and mess up, right? So don't gather enough for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'll, take, I'll meet you again tomorrow morning with all the provisions for that day. But for today, you gather enough right now. This is a daily walk. I'm teaching you to trust in me every single day. Tomorrow morning, that will take care of itself. Today, and then of course on Friday, twice as much because there won't be any on Saturday. He's training them all the way through the wilderness to trust me. I'll give you provisions for the day. God made us to need refills. To need access to renewable resources to continue growing our faith. This is good news and it's bad news. It's good news because God has given abundant provision every day of our life. Now let me ask you this. When is prayer possible? any time. There's not a moment in your life, any moment of your life, where God doesn't make prayer possible and available to you. God is accessible to you 24-7, 365 and a quarter. What's interesting is Christians have a, a real struggle making themselves pray. It's a weird thing. We make ourselves because we don't really want to, and yet that's the provision that gives us strength, and God makes it available anytime. When can we access the will and mind of God and know what God wants for our lives from His Word? When can we do that? Anytime we want to. When can we call upon the help and the strength and the encouragement of our fellow believers? Hebrews says daily, anytime you want to. The provision of God is abundant and it's there all the time. He's got a buffet, fully hot, always ready at any moment of your life. Go eat! So often we don't. The bad news about this is we're so used to being abundantly available that we very rarely actually go. It's a strange thing. When it's there all the time, we take it for granted. And then you'll meet this a challenge or this temptation or this situation that confronts you. And while you should be able to handle this as a Christian, you don't. 
You just don't. Jesus, when he prayed, give us this day our daily, he expected your prayer to be every day, too. The prayer is daily, and so is God's provision. I would say it this way to young people. They get their first job, and the first paycheck comes, and it looks like a large amount. And you're like, man, this is a lot of money. I can live all this for a long time. And then suddenly, when they realize the expense is coming out of it, they need another check to replenish that account very quickly, don't they? It goes so fast, doesn't it? It looks like a lot. It goes so fast. So our kids go down to Harding. They're at Uplift at the camp that they're at. They had a great experience, and they're thinking, man, I'm, they, they get to feeling so high off of each other, and it's a wonderful experience, and we need lots of these. But they start thinking, I'll never sin again, and I'll never struggle again, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to live off of this and coast for a long time. And then they get home, and And here's why. Those events are orchestrated by somebody else. They're planned by somebody else. And you go plug yourself into it. And they feed you amazingly. They do. Harding does a great job of teaching during that time and encouraging you with singing. But guess what? When you go home, your feeding must be something you do. Now it's up to you to pray. Nobody leads you in this. It's up to you to study. Nobody's going to study with you. It's up to you to expose yourself to fellowship, not somebody else. And now all of a sudden, it kind of goes down like this. I wish it lasted forever. And you need those moments. But then you've got to go home and you've got to work at it. And you've got to make yourself go feed on God's Word and study and talk to Him. I just want to make three quick observations here. The Christian life is a daily walk. It needs constant attention every day. We often want to stuff ourselves full and then just kind of coast off that spiritually, but we can't. It's a, if it's going to be vibrant and living and active in you, it's got to be daily. So complete this song with me. You ready? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are... Every morning He meets you. The mercies for the day are found in the morning. And this won't carry you through tomorrow. This is just for today. So don't start taking on tomorrow. That's called worry. But in this case, he says, I want you to know the Lord is faithful. He will meet you every morning with what you need for that day. It's a daily walk. We don't live by weekly segments or monthly segments or yearly segments. We live daily. Second, the Christian life, in order to become something that you treasure and depend on, requires more than just eating once a week. If you are looking to Valley View's worship service on Sunday morning, to sustaining your entire Christian walk for your life, it might work, but it won't work well. It's not designed for that. The first day of the week is not designed to be the only time that you feed yourself spiritually. Third thing, the Christian life needs to be nurtured on more than public restaurants. Think, what are you talking about? If the only time you feed yourself spiritually is whether you're in the community and you go home and you never do this as a family or never do this as an individual and never find time to feed your spirit on your own, it will never become more than just a public faith. You impress people when they see you. It's just not real at your house. It's not real at your job. And it's not real on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. 
To be strong and mature, you need some meals that are prepared at home. Eating out makes you flabby. You need to eat at home. I hope that being here today made you feel a little bit full and strong for the week that's ahead of you. By giving God praise and letting him give you sustenance for the week. That's how the first day of the week is supposed to happen. But don't wait till next Sunday to add to this. Don't coast off of that stuff and the strength of the past. God in his grace keeps the buffet open all the time. Free refills all the time. And it would be foolish for you to starve to death when there's a buffet open and refills available freely. Here's how Jesus put it, and we'll close with this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Do you want to be filled? Do you want to stay filled and healthy? He's made it possible. But it really is up to you to decide this. You control your access because God makes it free at any time. If you're a, a Christian, if you're a believer, and you're just kind of going on fumes, and you're just coasting, I urge you, I urge you to get serious about feeding yourself every day something that sustains your faith. Or else one day, there's a challenge coming, and you're going to be mystified by why this trips me up rather than builds me up. If you're not a believer, I want you to know you don't have spiritual life at all until you've been born of the water and the blood, water and the Spirit. Until you've done that, until you've responded to God and named him Lord, his son Lord, and before you confess, repent of your sins and confess his name and be immersed, you have no life at all. But after that, there's life available and provisions available in abundance. Don't leave here empty. Don't try living out there with any kind of spiritual vitality without first being filled here. If there's anything we can do for you this morning, we stand ready to be a people who receive you. Be warmed, filled, and leave here full as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.